Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is one of America's leading behavioral management and business marketing specialists and is the author of the multi-award-winning book, Brain Glue, How to Sell Easier by Making Your Ideas Sticky. For 13 years, he ran one of Southern California's leading behavioral management firms, working with a who's who of American business. Early in his career, he ran an advertising agency in Montreal, working with a wide range of Fortune, Fortune 500 and smaller firms. He is a past workshop chairman, chairman and sold-out workshop leader for the resource partner of the U.S. Small Business Administration, has been a featured guest speaker at three Southern California universities, and has been a popular guest on a wide range of marketing and business podcasts. So let's welcome James I. Bond. How are you doing today, James? Hi, Victor. How are you? I'm great. Oh, I'm doing well. It's great to have you on. And James, I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Um... Hmm. I think it's wired into me. My dad was an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, my dad had several businesses and, and uh, I mean, I didn't inherit any of that stuff, which is a bummer, but that's fine. You know, because I think what happens is if I would have inherited, I probably wouldn't have appreciated as much, but I was always fascinated. I was, my dad at some, at one point had a, a commercial laundry and uh, he was, he had to deal with the mafia who was controlling that area and he was a good negotiator. So he worked with that. But I remember I would always and one of my brothers would always be like in the back folding towels and things like that. And uh, but we'd be listening, eavesdropping on what he was doing and trying to understand business. And so I just I've always been fascinated by business. And then, you know, for more than 35 years, way more than 30, I'm pretty old. <laughs> Let me see. Seven, but over 50 years, I've been a consultant or 45 years, I guess. But uh, to a, a to a ton of businesses. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was fun. And I, and originally I started, um, I came from mechanical engineering, but I started an advertising agency. It took me a while and I worked my, in Montreal. I'm originally from Montreal, although I lived in Southern California for about 35 years. And I worked my way up and figured out how to win major clients. And I won clients like Kraft Foods, Timex Watches, Avon Cosmetics, Abbott Laboratories, Seagram's. The booze company, their world headquarters is in Montreal. And so I kind of worked my way up that way. Uh, and then eventually we moved to California, Southern California, uh, because of the weather <laughs> to start with, but also my mom lived here. And uh, and then I built uh, one of California's leading behavioral management firms. It was really fun working. We worked with, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's team brought me in. I saw Price, who founded the Price Club, eventually became Costco. Uh, brought you know work with I work with them and you know lots of other people as well as uh, individuals so yeah it's it's been fun. Wow so uh, yeah so it's yeah like you said it's it's in the blood like your dad was an entrepreneur had several different businesses and uh, Dick uh, laundry business and wow he had to deal with the mafia that that must have been really interesting it's a good thing he had good negotiating skills because you got to really? be you're dealing <laughs> with the mafia because. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, I'm sure he had to make him an offer they couldn't refuse, and I'm sure everything worked well. So it must have been. Well, that's where I learned negotiating skills. <laughs> My dad loved negotiating. <laughs> you know, before that's you, awesome. how about uh, we have some lunch together? 
<laughs> no, and, and yeah, and you and your brother listened in on all those conversations. Obviously, you learned a lot from doing it. And obviously, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been consulted for like over four to five years. You know, you, 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 I think you see you had a mechanical engineering degree, and you worked in advertising agencies. You had a lot of big clients. And um, when you were working in Montreal, then you moved to Southern California. In the morning, you had nice weather. Also, your mom was living there. So, and then, um, you know, you got a lot of clients down there too, a lot of big clients like Warren Buffett and the, the founder of Price Club, which became Costco. So, um, definitely, definitely learn. A, I'm sure, you know, from all those years of experience and dealing with all those big clients, it uh, obviously learned a lot. So, when you got started, you know, Lisa, you got a lot of those big companies like Siemens and you. Um, how, how are you able to get, because, you know, when everyone gets started, they don't want to get clients, but you know, when you're started and you don't have the experience, you don't know people, it can be hard, especially your first year to, to, um, you know, to get those big clients. So did, did it take you a while or were you able to get them within your first couple of years? Some of those big clients you mentioned earlier. No, it took a while. I, so I apprenticed with some of the world's top photographers. I would say the names and most people don't know them because they're like behind the scenes. Um, but I was, I didn't have the confidence myself. Uh, you know, it's, I'm a technical person. And so it was funny because I, when I started uh, photography and then advertising, um, I didn't charge enough. And this is one of the things that led me to behavioral management and brain glue and all these things that the, the book that I wrote, but which is profound, but, and many people find it profound, but I, um, I didn't realize that because I, I worked with some of the world's top photographers and I was able to develop advertising that was like high end, like a state of the art. But because I didn't charge enough, it's like saying, hey, I got a brand new Mercedes outside. OK, it's an eighty five thousand dollar car and I'm only it's it's only a year old, but nobody's ever driven it before. It's not stolen, but it's like for six hundred bucks. You want to buy it? You know, people go like, wait a second, it's an $80,000 car for $600. What's wrong with it? Is it stolen? There's something wrong with it. No, 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 there's nothing. It's an actual perfect car. There's nothing wrong with it at all. And it just, it feels wrong. And so I would be competing with people that charge like $1,000 a photograph, let's say, or an ad, okay, or $10,000 an ad or whatever it was. And I'd be offering like, a, like $400. And people would say, wow, this is fantastic. I look at my work. And then they'd ask me for a price. And the price was wrong. And I realized it started me on the, on the path of behavioral management. I remember we finally, I, I got into business with one of my brothers. I have two brothers, a sister and two brothers. And one of my brothers, we were in Avon of Canada and uh, Avon Cosmetics. And uh, I was sitting there and my brother was a much better, he's a brilliant salesperson. And so the buyer from Avon said, uh, John is my brother. Hey, John, you know, we it's between you and this other company frankly i'd love i'd love to hide rather hire you than the other company but frankly your price is higher so my brother leans across the desk and says why do you think the other guy's so cheap and there's a long pause i really i thought like wow there's nobody saying anything for such a long time and then the buyer from avon says i get your point okay i'll write you up a purchase order and i thought what the hell just happened <laughs> You know, we didn't have to lower our price. You know, my brother didn't say, what's the other guy's price? We can match it or anything. No, he said, no, you know, you're paying, you know, you get what you pay for it. So if you want the cheap guy, you know, if you if you don't care about the quality of the work you get, then yeah, you should hire the other guy. Don't hire us. And just by having that approach helped me understand how profound selling is and marketing and how much I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I knew visually how to create it. We do ads for Seagram's and show the beautiful bottle and all that stuff, whatever else, you know, maybe have a good headline. But 
it was it, it this helped me understand that there was a whole aspect of persuasion that I didn't understand. And then eventually we had an opportunity to win the anti-drug campaign in America, you know, with powerful logical reasons. I'm a logical person with powerful logical reasons why you should not do drugs. Then I saw the ad that beat us and it terrified me. It's a guy holding an egg. I'm sure you've heard this. I've seen it. it says, this is your brain. Cracks the shell and drops the egg into a sizzling frying pan. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? When I saw the ad, I knew it was profoundly more powerful than anything I knew how to do, any of the ads we did. And it scared me because I didn't understand. This was emotional selling, not logical selling. I have logical reasons why you shouldn't do drugs. And he's got this egg dropping into a frying pan. What does that have to do with it? And yet it's so profound. It, uh, it was one of the most powerful ads ever created. And I realized as a scientist in me, I got to figure out how they did that. I mean, how did they come up with that idea? Because if they don't teach it in school, I went to the library, there's no books on it. You know, they have superficial things, but nobody shows you how to do it. And so I started this thing. I, I wrote down on a three by five card, your brain on drugs. So I'd remember the ad. And then I said, let me create a passion box. Let me get a box and put it right next to my computer. And every time I see an ad or hear something that's profound from an emotional standpoint, not logical, but from an emotional standpoint, instead of trying to figure it out, like figure out how they came up with it, let me drop it in the box in the hopes that eventually there'll be so many examples inside there that I'll start to figure out how they, you know, how they come up with that. And about over 10 years later, uh, after about 10 years of putting uh, stuff, you know, quotes and ads inside the box, so it was almost overflowing. Um, I met John Gray in Southern California. I met John Gray and John Gray was telling me how he wrote this incredible book, Men, Women and Relationships. And it sold a few thousand copies. And he was frustrated because he said, this is like the best relationship book ever. So he's telling me that I changed the title to Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And then tweak the content a little so it was consistent with the title. But it's basically the same book. Guess what happened? Almost overnight, half a million people bought his book. Then a million, then two million. He eventually sold 50 million copies of the book. 50, he went from 20,000 to 50 million copies, all because he changed the title. Wow, I thought my brain was going to explode. So when I got home, I dumped the passion box on my bed. And I said, well, I realized I wrote, Men are from Mars on a three by five card. So I remember his, uh, the title of his book. And then I realized that's a metaphor. I mean, we aren't really from a different planet. All you ladies out there, men are not from Mars. Okay. But it's a metaphor. He means, you know, we understand what he means. And I realized like, what else is a metaphor? I mean, you and I know Jack Canfield. He wrote chicken soup for the soul. Well, you don't open the book and get chicken soup. You know, Jack was telling me, you know, he wrote the book and it's called 101, uh, uh, story, life stories that will change your life. Emotional stories or motivating stories that will change your life. But it's str he struggled with it. He said, that's like a book. It doesn't really pop out of, you know, the bookstore, you know. And he, so he was struggling with it. And then eventually one morning he woke up and he said, you know, chicken soup makes people feel better. My book makes people feel better. I should call it chicken soup for the spirit. That would be really good. But he said, it doesn't really exactly sound right. And then, but it's close. And then he thought about it after a while. He was telling me this. And then he said he realized soul, S-O-U-L, and uh, um, S-O-U-P and S-O-U-L, it sounds the same, soul soup. So he says, why don't I call it chicken soup for the soul? And he said, I didn't even realize that's why brain glue works. These are brain glue tools. But he didn't know brain glue back then. And so he, But he was telling me that 
suddenly he came up with the idea for chicken soup for the soul. He sold 500 million books. He sold 100 million chicken soup for the soul and 400 million chicken soup for the soul series, like chicken soup for the teenage soul, chicken soup for the cancer survivor soul. 500 million books. What if you make a buck a book? That's not bad, <laughs> you know? But it's like, it's a it's a metaphor. And I realized when I dumped the, pa the passion box on my bed, I started realizing 14 brain triggers that boost the selling power of any message. And it's profound. And I started realizing things like, um, I'll take metaphors, for example. When you watch Shark Tank on television, it's not a bunch of sharks. I mean, it might feel like it when you're on the show, but it's it's but it feels like it. Shark Tank works. If it was called the Investors Group, you think as many people would fall in love with it as Shark Tank? Nah. You know, how about Rocky Road ice cream? When you open it up, it doesn't have rocks inside. And hey, guess what? There's rocks inside my ice cream. No, it's chocolate ice cream with nuts and marshmallows. But it's bumpy like a Rocky Road. Rocky Road has used the three tools of brain glue, okay? The second tool it used, so the first one is a metaphor, okay? Because it's not really Rocky Road. The second tool it used was alliteration, a repetition of sounds, Rocky Road. And I started realizing how many blockbuster uh, products and phrases use alliteration. Coca-Cola, Best Buy, PayPal, TikTok. I mean, what if they call TikTok? What if they called it the Chinese social media platform? You think it would be as successful as TikTok? No. And so I started realizing, wow, these people are using alliteration, just like Rocky Road used alliteration. Could that be part of why they became famous and successful? Absolutely. And the third thing for Rocky Road Ice Cream was Rocky Road helped Dryer's Ice Cream, who didn't have a lot of money when they started, but Rocky Road became a blockbuster of success almost overnight. And it was uh, launched during the Great Depression. And the Great Depression, a nickname for the Great Depression was Rocky Road. It's like we're all on a rocky road. So their com concept was, well, we're, on a, we're all on a rocky road anyway. Why don't we have Rocky Road Ice Cream? <laughs> it almost made people laugh, but they started buying it. And so I started realizing this is one of the most powerful selling and persuasion concepts ever. It's blowing people's mind. I mean, you and I know Jack Canfield. It blew his mind. You know, he's, he's sold over 500 million books. He doesn't need me telling him what to do. But he said, no. He said, I can't believe I, you know, there are all these books that he's written. And he said, he's mad. He's like, he's mad at me. But he's mad because he said, I should, I could have been applying brain glue to all these other titles. He said, I can't believe that I, you know, I didn't know this. And he's telling me, you know, he actually came up with some phrases because uh, brain glue doesn't just apply to titles of books and things. It applies also to how we describe things. And so there's something like President John F. Kennedy. You're probably old enough to remember. I remember John F. Kennedy. I sort of grew up with him as a, when I was a young kid. And he said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Well, that's a tool called chiasmus. I never knew this before. It's a flip, you know. He said, uh, um, uh, mankind must put an end to war or war will put an end to mankind. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, Malcolm X said, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock landed on us. I mean, think of how much more powerful it is than saying, hey, I'm a black guy. You have no idea how hard it is being a black person in America, you know? I mean, instead, he said, you know, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock landed on us. And that really resonates. Uh, Malcolm X had, they, people loved him because of his quotes. He had, he said, um, when you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. You know, and these, so my concept with brain glue, I actually wrote the book brain glue. It actually shows you how these people came up with these concepts 
how they structured it so that it triggers the, the brain and then how they applied it and how you can apply it too. And that's why like people are loving it because they're going like, wow, this is so much fun. I never even thought of like how to do this. You know, I mean, it's, it gives you an opportunity to structure, you know, um, I, I mean, think, think of these products, okay? Pop-Tarts, Squatty Potty, big ass fans, okay? These guys all became blockbusters. So Pop-Tarts, from it was the head of uh, uh, Kellogg's. He stole the product from Post, who was competing with him. The head of Post Cereals, uh, you know, they came. He came up with this idea of like, wow, this would be really cool if I created this little uh, cake that has jelly inside it, and you could put it in a toaster, it would pop up. But he and and they announced uh, about uh, two months before they launched it. You know, we have this new product that's going to come out. You put it in your toaster, and it's going to pop up with a little cake. It's awesome. And we're calling it Country Squares. Well, the head of Kellogg's laughed and said, we can beat this guy. And so he came, he's first, he got some people came in to help him figure out how to make the product, okay, within two months. And then they launched it. And he said, you know, back then um, uh, they had pop artists, um, you know, famous pop artists. What's his name again? Who was uh, um, the biggest pop artist? Uh, anyway. Elvis. 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 Yeah, no. Um, uh, what was his name? I forget his name, but he was a pop artist who was really, really famous. Andy Warhol. Oh, Andy Warhol. Okay. Yeah, Andy Warhol was really famous back then, and so and everybody knew pop art because of Andy Warhol. Okay, mm -hmm. and there were other pop artists, but Andy Warhol was like the most famous. So he said we wanted to sound like pop because it pops out of the toaster, and we wanted to have pop art because everybody pop tart because it sounds like pop art, and everybody knows that. And pop tarts became over overnight massively successful in fact so successful it threw uh it stopped um uh post cereals from even selling their product listen to this okay it sold so much that they ran out of product so he ran a full page ad in the new york times and said i apologize i'm so sorry we ran out of pop tarts we're but it's everybody loves it just hang on for a few minutes you know for a little while we're gonna have them back and so instead of people going out and buying country squares which was the same basic product from Post, they waited for Pop-Tarts to come available and nobody, virtually nobody bought Post's uh, Country Squares, all because he came up with a better name. I mean, that was amazing. And then we have Squatty Potty. It's a mom and her son in Utah with no business experience, okay? Zero business experience. She's sitting on the toilet and she says, you know what? It's better for the body. It's better for you to go to the bathroom if you raise your feet about six inches off the toilet, off the ground. It just it changes the shape of your body. I don't want to get too much into it. But she said, oh, we should have a product that's a little stool that we, you know, that we teach people that, that to, they use this when they go to the bathroom. And so what would we call it? We, get, we can call it the toilet stool, but that doesn't really work. So what's another name for toilet? Uh, potty. Okay. And uh, what are we doing? We're kind of squatting. Squatty potty. Let's call it the squatty potty, which rhymes. You know what I mean? And and the rest, as they say, is history. Within two years, they had over $100 million of sales. I mean, how many people out there, you know, you started a business, you have an idea for a product or a service, and you make $100 million within two years. That would be pretty cool, don't you think? They did because they had a cool name, squatty potty. Okay? I mean, it's just a big, um, it's just, uh, and, and rhyme is so powerful. We don't realize it isn't just for, good for selling products. You know, OJ Simpson got off from an almost certain guilty verdict in a murder trial. How? 
because if the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. That's what Johnny Cochran, his attorney, said. And then, of course, O.J. exaggerated the glove didn't fit him. And so I remember there were two jurors after the trial, and they were asked, with all that evidence against O.J., how come you let him go free? And one of them said this while the other one was nodding her head. And she said, well, we knew if the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. The glove didn't fit, so we had to acquit. I mean, rhyme is so powerful. It'll sell your products. It'll sell your books. And it'll get somebody off from an almost certain guilty verdict at a murder trial. I mean, that's how powerful it is. So it's just in uh, um, Carrie Smith, uh, he started a company manufacturing company that was making a little bit of money and he had this this guy he knew who had a fan company he was making really huge fans that are used in farms you know in a barn you're not going to have air conditioning inside a barn for cows but you put up a big fan and so they sold really big fans and so he was he bought this company and he was selling fans and at one point somebody said well why should we buy your fans and these are really big they're not so big they're big ass fans and the guy started laughing and he thought why don't i start an ad for big ass fans and see what happens. He ran the ads calling it big ass fans and its sales exploded. And he said, I got to change the name of these products. My product, the big ass fans actually has a funny logo. He has a, a donkey with his butt facing you and then his head just, fa just facing you from the other direction. And he called that's his logo for big ass fans. But sales exploded. In fact, what happened was he was selling so many big ass fans that he decided to start offering other products too. And he realized it was distracting him. And so he stopped selling the other product to just focus on big ass fans. After 15 years, a lot of people who start a business, after 15 years, if you want to sell it, you're lucky if you can get any money for it. After 15 years, he got $500 million for his for his business, selling big ass fans. You know, and it's and he said, I started from virtually nothing. And just because of this powerful name, it helped people understand enough that they wanted to buy the product. So to me, you know, brain glue is just so powerful because it helps people understand, you know, you can use this to persuade. Uh, you can use this to help people understand what you're offering. Uh, you can use this to, uh, you know, uh, put a name on your product or a description on your product. I have these three guys who are construction workers. I have no experience with construction. And I helped them go there after 10 years they got two million of sales. That's not bad. Two million of sales in one year. I took it to ten million. By the way, they razzed me. They said, "Hey, Bond, it was supposed to be twelve million. My comment was, "Shut up." They bought each other brand new, the biggest BMWs as gifts. Okay, and so they went from two million to ten million in one year, and to thirty-two million two years later. All because we changed suddenly what they were doing, so that it would, they become more successful. Does that make sense? You know, absolutely. And uh, you definitely shared a lot of golden nuggets there uh, because a lot of people don't realize. Um, and I think a lot of us think we do everything logically. And as many of those examples you shared, it's not true. I mean, number one, you'll, you, I know you'll agree with the statement. We often buy an emotion and try to justify it with logically. That's what we do. We like to think we're logical buyers. But our subconscious mind gets the best of us when, you know, when you appeal to someone's emotions, you know, to their heart, you're like, oh, man, this feels good. I, I definitely want to get in. That's that's how the successful marketers do, the successful companies. Absolutely, they, Victor. In fact, let me give you this thing. So I'll use a metaphor to describe brain glue. Okay, brain glue has 14 brain triggers that boost the selling power of your message. Okay, so what's a brain trigger? Here's what a brain trigger is. Okay, I'm going to show you a powerful brain trigger. You're driving down the street, you know, you're leaving home, you get in your car, you're driving down the street and you have all these houses, okay? You've passed these houses over and over again, just like ads or, or products, okay? You see product, 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 product. You don't really notice them. 
Okay, you don't really notice them. And then suddenly you notice in one of the windows, you see flames coming out of the window. Would that stop you? Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. wait a second, my neighbor's house is on fire. What? You know, so stuff that you're normally not used to paying attention to, suddenly you stop and it grabs your attention. That's a brain trigger. I always say, you know, brain glue gets you to light the fire of desire in your buyer. You know, we think logically. You always want to start with logic, okay? What's a logical description uh, for what your product or service is or what you're offering, okay? Now you want to do the emotional, you want to attach emotional trigger to that because you want that window to have flames coming out of it. You want your product to have a window that has flames coming out of it. You want people, I mean, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know? I remember being in a bookstore. I'm looking at books, 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 men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Okay, what? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus? What the heck's that? And I picked it up, which is the first step to buying, by the way. I picked it up and I started looking through it. I went, oh, wow, this is really cool. Ended up buying the book, okay? I mean, you see an ad on on, uh, on the internet for Squatty Potty and you go like, Squatty Potty? What the heck's that? It grabs your attention. It's a... It's you're going down the street and you see nothing because you're not even noticing all these houses. And suddenly your neighbor's house has flames coming out of the window. You're going to stop and go like, whoa, what the heck's that? Oh, we got to call 911. I mean, it's it grabs your attention. And what we need in this world of over communication where we're bombarded with information. I mean, people, it used to be kids, but now it's adults and kids walk across the street. You're in New York. You walk across the street and you're on your phone. You're not even looking at stuff around you. You're not even noticing stuff. And we need to have a fire in our window so that people are going to go, whoa, what's that? Oh, let me check that out. Oh, wow. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Oh, wow. Because when you do that, you have a much better chance of getting them to buy from you, basically. You know, I, I like the phrase, light the fire of desire in your buyer. So it definitely makes it, like you said, we have so many things we're distracted with. Like you said, we look at the same things every single day, but like you say, we're driving down the street to see the same house. All of a sudden you see planes kind of coming out of one house. It's going to get your attention. It's like, hey, there's something here. What's going on here? So, and, and you gave many great examples, you know, like you gave your brain on drugs. It appeals to people. So most people are, you know, remember that. Or, you know, John Gray changing it from men, women, and relationships to Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. But I read that book. It was an awesome book. Yeah, because it it, it's like, what, what? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus? What does that mean? So it definitely piques uh, people's interests. And, you know, you mentioned Shark Tank. And, yeah, obviously it's not a Shark Tank, but, you know, it you know gives you that image. And you gave the example Rocky Road ice cream. And, and you, know, you, you mentioned also um, the, alliter- the alliteration, not just with that one, but with Coca-Cola, Best Buy, PayPal. I, you know, I never thought of that before. I just thought of also Frosted Flakes uh, sir, which I used to love as a kid. There you uh, go. <laughs> yeah, the, I never realized the power of alliteration, but yeah, it is power. People do notice these things. And then you talked about the phrase, I think, called them chiasmus. Ask now what you can do for your country, what, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And we did not land in Plymouth Rock and landed on us. So uh, these, are, these are powerful things that really hit home. Like you said, that's more powerful than saying, you know, I'm a black man living in an unjust society because it's it it really it, it really it's home more. So and you gave the example of Pop Tarts, <laughs> which was different from I think what the other company was calling it Country Squares, and definitely you know it and and it sounded like pop arts and and it definitely got you know a lot more people to buy. In fact, it it, it was so popular that they they ran out. And they got to got a two page ad saying, hey, you know, we we apologize, you know, we're running out, but be patient. We'll get it out to you soon. And people wait instead of buying the competitor, which is pretty much the same thing. So, 
and and squatty potty. And you're right. How'd you like is, to come up with an idea? It was pop tarts. How'd you like to come up with an idea that's amazing, and your competitor steals it from you and throws you out of business? I mean, I, that's what pop tarts is. They invented it, and pop tarts like knocked them out of business because they had a better name. It's like, no, you yeah. stole it from us. Too bad. <laughs> no, it's incredible. A name just changed everything, and that's what happened in that case. And you, and you mentioned rhyme is powerful, and and those who remember the OJ case, everyone everyone remembers. If it doesn't fit, you have to quit. So, and everyone remembers that phrase by Johnny Cochran. And you give another great example: the big ass fans by Kerry Smith. And he eventually, for all his business, you know, he had nothing to begin. He wound up getting five hundred million dollars, you know, several years later. And um, you know, then you you mentioned you work with these construction workers. They, you got them from two million to ten million, one year, and eventually thirty two million. So, um, doing these. So let me give, let me give you another tool. So just as you're going through this, okay, yeah. you're in New York, okay. So what if I'm going to have a play on Broadway or off Broadway, and it's about women's rights? So I'm going to call it the women's rights play. Is that going to work? Or how about the vagina monologues? Exactly. Is that going to work? What people are yeah. going? What? What's it called? Mm-hmm. You know, I saw an ad for. Um, um, I mean, it's just in Canada, there's a city called Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm originally from Montreal. It says, kids, we used to laugh. Regina? You know, what does that sound like? Okay. So they came up with an advertising slogan that was so good. It tripled, uh, it tripled <laughs> tourism in Regina. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so funny that Madonna and uh, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones describe it in their concerts when they have like 10 20,000 people okay so what they, if you're going to do an ad for a regina saskatchewan uh to get people's attention what would you call it? what would your ad like be like i mean think about it okay I, this this is i can't believe they came up with this they did it for for almost three years and then they stopped and apologized and said we didn't realize we we're going to offend people sorry like ha 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 okay it's it's they had t-shirts and bumper stickers regina it rhymes with fun <laughs> Regina, it rhymes uh-huh. with fun. I mean, uh-huh. really, it's just there's a there's a thing, you know, trigger words are really powerful. So Blue Emu, I remember I was watching Johnny Bench in his ad for Blue Emu, which is uh arthritis cream. You put it on if you have pain in your your shoulders and stuff like that. And so I'm like doing something else as we normally are, we don't have our full attention on it. And Johnny Bench says, you know, uh, Blue Emu, it works fast and you won't stink. And I'm like, what did he just say? It works fast and you won't stink. That's their logo, okay? Because he had a trigger word, stink. It wakes up your attention. You go like, what the heck did he just say? It's really, really powerful. And so think of um, Kurt Cobain. Smells like teen spirit. Oh, what does teen spirit smell like? A locker room? I mean, you know? And yet, because he had that in there, I mean, first, it's a fabulous song, and Kurt Cobain was amazing. But smells like teen spirit? Like, what a great title because it grabs your attention. It's like, again, you're driving down the street, and he's got he's got flames outside his window where everybody else doesn't. This song okay, smells like Teen Spirit. What? I mean, I'll give you a last thing on on the on music, okay? So, tell me if you remember this song. I was standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. Such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to take a look at me. Okay, the Eagles, fabulous song. We all love that song. Okay, mm-hmm. but did you know that it became uh, it started, it sold Winslow, Arizona as a tourist attraction. So this lady was telling me that, have you ever seen Winslow, Arizona? It's a hole in the wall, but they put up a statue of a lamppost 
and a guy leaning against a lamppost with the sign that says standing on the corner. Mm-hmm. And then she's telling me that recently they put um, um, a flatbed Ford with a statue of a woman inside it so people can come up there and take pictures of it. You know, it's on Route 66. So it's a lot, if people are driving along Route 66, you see it. She said, you wouldn't believe it. It's like it's all these tourists are showing up in Winslow, Arizona with their cameras taking pictures all because of the Eagles song. They weren't even trying to sell it, and they sold it. That's how powerful rhyme is. It's amazing. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I never realized that. But, you know, like you said, the Johnny Bench commercial, you know, works fast and it won't stink. And I definitely remember when it smells like teen spirit. I was like, what is that all about? It definitely uh, definitely got my curiosity up. And and Winslow, Arizona, um, I never realized it became a tourist spot because of that uh, song. Yeah, it's a small little town. And Another song from the early 80s, uh, uh, 8675309 by Tommy Two-Tone. It's, uh, it, it's, he talks about this girl named Jenny. He has a number on the wall. And th- there were a lot of people getting phone calls in all these different yep. cities because of that phone yep. number. It's like, there is no Jenny that lives here. But because yep, yep, of that, yep. the, the, people started calling the number. That's right. Well, chiasmus. So I'm going to tell you, I'll give you some more definition of chiasmus. Then I'll tell you the song. You, I'm sure you know the song. Okay, winners never quit and quitters never win. That's chiasmus to flip. Okay, it's when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Okay, that's how chiasmus works. It's a flip. So my wife hates this song. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Okay, Crosby, Stills and Nash. I mean, it was a they're huge song, but it, they use chiasmus. They use this tool. They have comedians that use it all the time. How about this one? I'm an older guy, so I can relate to this. Okay, I'd rather wake up and pee than pee and wake up. Okay, <laughs> you know, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Okay, I mean, it's funny because so comedians <laughs> can use it. I mean, it's just it's awesome. I mean, it's amazing. I'll say this one. Hopefully, I'm not crossing a line with you. But um, Mae West said, um, um, I um, uh, she had a really good line. Hang on, I don't remember it. A hard man is good to find. <laughs> Not even going to respond. <laughs> I know, exactly. But yeah. then this guy who has a, an electric razor for man's private areas, okay? This is how the power of metaphor. Now, I don't want to get into this too much, but he, his product became massively successful. He's thinking, how do I describe this in a way that doesn't offend people, but still people understand what this is? I know. Why don't I call it the lawnmower? The lawnmower, okay? He decided to call his company Manscaped. We're landscaping a man with the lawnmower, mm-hmm. you know? And people laugh, but they buy it. He was a huge company, one of the big companies, like Braun or something, was trying to buy his company. He said, no, you're not offering me enough. I'm making too much money from this. Because pe- And so what happens if you buy this thing? I mean, I wouldn't share it with a guy, you know. But I tell my friends, man, you wouldn't believe what I just got. A lawnmower. A lawnmower. What, you have to lawnmower your lawn? No, it's my body, you know. And it's just like it's it stands out. Again, it's, it's flames coming out of a window. You're driving down the street. You see, ad, ad, ad. It's a, a lawnmower. What? You know? And it's just, it grabs your attention and you realize like, whoa, hold on a second. What the heck's that all about? Oh, that's pretty cool. And it, grabbing the attention is like more than half. It's like 80% of being able to get somebody to buy your product or your idea. You know, I mean, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I mean, lines like that made JFK, President John F. Kennedy famous. You know, Malcolm X and these famous people, you know, they were famous because they didn't. Just, so I got a great one from Warren Buffett. Okay, I work with Warren Buffett and his team and all that stuff. Warren Buffett has this great line. So here's what he wants to say. Okay, 
Only when times get tough do you realize who's really good or who's really competent, okay? But if you said that, yeah, it goes in one ear and out the other. How about if he says, only when the tide goes out do you realize who's been swimming naked? Wow. Isn't that a great line? Yeah, yeah. Makes only sense. when the tide goes out do you realize who's been swimming naked. Yeah, definitely. I just thought about another famous line, uh, Martin Luther King. I have a dream. He didn't say, you know, this is a... This is a unjust country, you know, we're deprived of rights. He says, I have a dream, you know, I've been to the promised land. You know, he used that kind of imagery and it was, it was much more memorable because of it. And it wasn't on his script. It was a friend of his that was behind him that said, talk, say, talk about the dream. And it, he, it became passion out of his out of his heart that he talked about mm -hmm. this. It wasn't something that he wrote down. It, actually, people see the script. I've seen the, the copy of the manuscript for what he where the, the the talk was, and he's famous for that. The fact that this came from his heart, it's mm -hmm. like emotional. He recognized, I have a dream, and this became uh, profound. And that's why you know we're logical people, most of us. But if we're trying to sell, sell our ideas, sell our product, you have to trigger the emotion centers of the brain, the emotion triggers of the brain, because you need fire coming out of your window. If you can't have fire coming out of your window, this is going to drive down the street and ride right past you. And but if you do that. People, you, I mean, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. became famous because of what he was doing. He was starting the civil rights movement, but he was also famous because of what he said. If he was a terrible speaker, he wouldn't have been as famous. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just so powerful. Yeah, I agree. So as we're coming toward the end of our interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to leave with ours? You've definitely shared a lot of great golden nuggets. Any, anything else you'd like to share? Um. Yeah, I mean, two things. One is passion. Think of your passion. If you're trying to sell an idea or a product, don't be afraid. I remember Zig Ziglar said to me once, if you're passionate about something, you love a movie, you know, nobody has to tell you how to sell it, you know how to sell it. So when we sell our products or ideas, I know think logically, we start there, but sell passionately, you know. And then the other thing from this is, you know, think always think of a metaphor or analogy. Complete the phrase, my product or idea is just like blank. What's it like? And be as crazy as possible. I mean, my book and my you know, brain glue is just like driving down the street and seeing, flame, seeing flames come out of a window. Okay. It helps people understand better. And it's when people understand emotionally, you know, then they want, they want you, your idea or product. And, and so think of a metaphor. My idea or product is just like, uh, and have fun with coming up with something that's, you know, as crazy as possible. You might have to back it up. Although the lawnmower guy didn't back it up. I won't get into that anymore. But but you know, but it's just it just it it triggers the parts of the brain that make people want to buy from you or wanna, you know, follow you. Definitely some good stuff. And I remember reading when Sig Sigler talked about selling in his when his book, I forgot the name of the book, but he basically said he was struggling until like he I think he talked to the leading salesman. He says, You gotta love you gotta try the product, you gotta love the product. If you can sell yourself on the product and really be passionate about it, then you can sell everyone. And once he did that. His sales just skyrocketed after that. That was the one missing ingredient. So the passion you talked about, be passionate for your product and service. And I love the fact, you know, find a, you know, think of a metaphor or analogy for your product or service and then use it because you, you shared a whole bunch today. And I definitely think it makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it, but yeah, those things all make a lot of sense. People remember it. It hits their heart, it hits their emotions. So definitely a lot of great stuff here today. So listen, James, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great stuff here, a lot of great ideas a lot of great tips and uh, definitely I learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast 
is definitely going to learn a lot from it. And before we let you go, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Well, the book is Brain Glue, and that's a good way to do it, to understand this. And you can go to brainglupage.com, the page that has Brain Glue. And it's got all kinds of stuff, including Jack Canfield, you and I know him. You know, he's actually got a video on that talking about how he loves this and how it's changed his life. But it's just go to brainglupage.com and it will show you a lot of elements that are in Brainglue. I think you'll you guys will find it really fun. All right. That sounds great. Thanks again. Really appreciate it, James. Have yourself an amazing day. You too, Victor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.